Welcome to Crime Over Wine Weekly. It's Sunday, February 25th. I'm Liam Collins. Here are your crime headlines. Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie's parents reached an agreement in their civil lawsuit this week, avoiding a trial. The terms of the settlement are confidential, and Gabby's parents said it was to, quote, avoid further legal expenses and prolonged personal conflict. The lawsuit claimed that Brian's parents acted with malice or great indifference of rights when they didn't come forward during the searches for Gabby and Brian in 2021. A person of interest is in custody over the murder of a nursing student in Athens, Georgia, who went missing during a run. Police would not say that person may be connected to the murder. 22-year-old Lakin Riley went missing Thursday morning and her body was found later that afternoon. Police have not revealed her cause of death. Lori Vallow Daybell appeared in court smiling Wednesday morning and asked for the judge's permission to not appear at her next hearing. She is facing two counts of conspiracy to commit murder for allegedly trying to kill her ex husband and trying to kill the former husband of her niece. She is already serving a life sentence in Idaho for the murders of her children. Chad Daybell also appeared in court in Idaho this week for his murder charge. And this week on Crime Over Wine Weekly, deputies discover a pregnant teenager's body in a ditch. What we know so far about Malaysia Hogg's final days. Plus, justice for harmony. A jury finds Adam Montgomery guilty in the murder of his five-year-old daughter. Coming up, what happens next in the pursuit of justice for the little girl. But first, we have wine to drink and things to celebrate this week. Y'all, it is Heather Holly's birthday. Happy birthday, Heather. So glad you're with us. Thank Yay. you. Yay. And I'm also joined this week by Michelle Heron, of course, as always. Michelle, hello. Hey. Happy birthday, Heather. Thank you. Woohoo. Okay. Well, let's, we have so many things to celebrate. Um, let's do some wine to, to, to celebrate Heather's big day. So this week we are drinking King Stag Chardonnay. The majestic, cool climate Chardonnay exudes a complex aroma of white peach, orange blossom, and a touch of French oak, setting a backdrop for crisp acidity and an agile finish. Agile finish. I want to know exactly what that means. And so I am just going to not going to waste a single extra second. I'm going to find out. Cheers to y'all. Cheers. Okay. It's very dark. It's a dark, it's a dark Chardonnay. It's oaky too. Interesting. Okay. I, I want to call like that there's, agile. There's a lot of flavor on the front end and then like not a lot on the back end, which usually with a Chardonnay, it's opposite. Like there's a lot of that. Yeah oaky aftertaste mm. so um it's good um yeah no it's good it's very buttery um it's it's smooth it's a smooth chardonnay for sure um a cool climate i can definitely see i can see where they're going with that i get i get white peach let me see yeah a bit of white peach not as orange blossom yeah for sure i'm getting citrus flavors in there and oaky all around for sure mm-hmm. i think um i i'm liking it dare we ask heather what she thinks after last week Probably shouldn't. Oh, gosh. Uh, I I appreciate that. What? Heather has very specific tastes. I was I'm not mad uh-huh. about it. I'm just I, you have very specific tastes of wine, um, and I frankly knew. Um, listen, as long as I'm in charge of of picking out the wine, Heather is going to have a really difficult time on this podcast. So okay, I'm I'm learning the wine. Like y'all literally had to explain to me that the Chardonnay was like a grape name or whatever. So, you know, I don't, I don't have my, I don't hold my opinion that high in wine, um, but I don't like this. No. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but I will take your, your feedback into consideration. You um, absolutely will not ignore it. Oh, uh, you're fired from the wine picking anyway. So consider it, consider <laughs> Damn. Oh, well. All right, let's move on. We have so much news to talk about. So much, y'all, so much happened this week. This has been one crazy freaking week in crime. But first, this Friday, March 1st, marks 37 years since Sherry Orofino was killed along the Taconic State Parkway in Hudson Valley, New York. Investigators publicly say they believe they know who killed her, but no arrests have ever been made. If you know anything about Sherry's death, call New York State Police at 914-737-7171. And you can hear her full story on Episode 7 of Crime Over One. Plus, this Friday, March 1st, also marks 46 years since Suzanne Lyle disappeared after work in Albany, New York. If you know anything about her disappearance, call New York State Police at 518-783-3212 and listen to her story on episode 22 of Crime Over Wine. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime over wine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. Investigators in Barnwell, South Carolina are looking for answers in the death of a teenage girl who was just days away from giving birth. Malaysia Hogg was a 17-year-old high school student planning on becoming a nurse, and she was scheduled to be induced on February 14th. However, she never made it to that appointment. Malaysia's aunt tells WRDW she knew something was wrong when the team didn't come over on the 13th. That was the plan they made so she could take Malaysia to the doctor the next day to give birth. She says the young girl was excited to become a mother after losing her own mother in recent years. W. ACH reports that Malaysia was last seen on February 8th, and according to People Magazine, she was first reported missing that day as well. People reports her family didn't hear back from law enforcement, so they turned to the Broken Link Foundation, a nonprofit that works to bring missing persons home. The Barnwell County Sheriff's Office says the teen was reported missing on February 14th. Days later, on February 18th, deputies discovered Malaysia's body in a ditch less than half a mile from her home. People Magazine reports an autopsy was scheduled for Wednesday, and while investigators wait for those results, they're asking anyone with information to come forward. You can submit your tips to SLED by emailing tips at sled.sc.gov. Oh, man. That is quite a way to get into this episode. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. That is tragic. And just to think, like, two, two very young lives are gone. I mean, that's just tragic on so many levels. Yeah, like her her aunt in one interview was talking about how excited she was about becoming a mother. Um, she was naming her daughter after her mother, um, who she lost one to three years ago, depending on which report you look at. That varied. Um, really? She was really excited to be a mom and um, they already had the nickname Tink Tink for the little baby and the whole family was excited about it. And now they're planning two funerals instead of celebrating the new addition to their family. And I also have to say, like, like I've never heard of um, the Broken Link Foundation. This, that's not, I'm not familiar with them. Um, and so I just, I mean, like shout, like, can we just for, for a moment, take a shout out for those nonprofits that, you know, just do the fucking best work that, you know, that the, the, the important work, like the national, like, you know, the, this foundation, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the Black and Missing Foundation, like I could go on and on and on and on and on. So many organizations that, you know, have dedicated their lives and like their mission of their organization to like finding this. And a lot of times they make the difference. It seems like they did in this case. Um, and so props to these guys, whoever they are and wherever they do, I'm going to have to look into them. I'm going to, going to follow their work, but um, props to them for, for, you know, sticking with it and, and pushing something, pushing the needle on something here. And Heather, didn't you mention that as you were like researching this, that there's not a lot of other outlets reporting on, on this, like, for something so tragic, like, why aren't we hearing more about it? Yeah, so I, I felt very weird sourcing People magazine 
on this story. Mm. Um, but they were one of four outlets I found reporting it. Um, two were local to where this happened. One was WSB in Atlanta, um, and the other was People. And People and WSB pretty much pulled from the other organizations to compile their reports and attributed them um so yeah there's not very much and then going back to the broken link foundation they directly addressed this issue because there's also in the same area in barnwell south carolina there's a young white man who's missing and he's still missing they made a post um saying directly what gets danced around a lot. So there were two issues with this. There was one where in the the post about the young white man missing, uh, someone threatened a commenter in that. And then a few days later, they make a follow-up post and say, you know, if you want to leave this page because you can't see or accept the truth, then unfollow us. Um, Facts are that Black missing people do not get fair nor equal treatment by law enforcement. Do we so so to be clear they are, they're they're expecting foul play in this just to be or suspecting or is that not The family true? says yes that something had to somebody did something to her but no law enforcement that this has not been called a homicide investigation yet Oh interesting okay um but she she was sent for an autopsy yeah so we don't know this week what her oh yeah on wednesday so yeah we don't know what her cause of death was they didn't say anything about like a presumptive cause of death of what of any injuries or nothing like that that you saw no no mention of what condition she was found in um any signs of assault a stab wound or any gunshot wounds, anything. I would imagine that if there was something visible, they, the family would have shared that, right? Like, I feel like that, that feels like the, like the the police, the investigators would have shared that with them and they would have shared that with media, it sounds like. I think also looking at, you know, her life, like what's been shared about her life. You know, she was a high school student. She had plans of becoming a nurse. You know, she was excited about this baby. Her family was excited too, you know. So that's why that really kind of makes you think that I don't think maybe she did anything to herself. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. she had Mm -hmm. so much to look forward to and plan. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the only thing that like would make sense to me other than foul play is like if she was that close to giving birth, like maybe she had complications somehow. You, you know what I mean? Like uh, complications, like maybe she like something, whatever happened to her happened to her and she went missing. And like in part of that going missing or maybe even because of this, she went missing, like, like had some sort of complication like went into labor had some sort of complication and passed away but then like how did the well so yeah so i don't know i mean there's just a lot of questions i mean obviously here for sure but like it seems like that would that is the only thing that would make sense to me logically speaking if it wasn't somebody who did something to her and ended her life yeah and it it just if that did like why would her body be found in a ditch then you know what i mean if there even if there was someone that was with her like yeah, I feel like the natural thing to do would be to call nine one one to try and get her and the unborn baby help. Yeah, yeah, you'd think. Yeah, yeah, man, that one's that one's brought my spirits down right away. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about her more. I will say, like, Sled doesn't really get involved in situations that aren't suspicious. Um, you know, I used to cover. Um, you know, I used to be a reporter in the Carolinas, and like, I so I'm like, t- I used to you know, cover sled only to that extent of like, I was a reporter in North Carolina. And so they, we like a lot of cases like bled over into, into South Carolina. And so like, I know that sled really only, I feel like sled really only handles cases where like things aren't adding up. You know what I mean? Like if, if, if there were like some, if there was something like obviously medically wrong here in terms of like something went wrong with her pregnancy, like sled wouldn't be involved in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, It seems like everyone's, dancing around it being suspicious but not saying it out loud right now Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i feel like they do that a lot of times when like the cause of death like whatever the cause of death is could determine the harm like uh, whether it exists as a homicide right because like if she had a stab wound they're gonna come right out and say this is a homicide we're looking for somebody right like they're not gonna waste time but like maybe like they're like maybe it was like a head wound or something like that maybe like maybe it's possible she fell you know like so like so point being is that like if they're if it was 
like that makes me even like a little bit more interested in the in the medical side of that of that because like because again if there were if there were obvious injuries they're opening it as a homicide and they are looking for the person responsible and they're not going to waste any more time if they're doing the jobs right hopefully um there's more coverage for malaysia and answers coming out soon and we'll definitely keep you updated on that uh but what do you have for us this week liam yeah. Well, first of all, that you know, the more coverage starts here, right? I mean, as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, the, you know, we play our part. But um, this week, I have a you know another update on a case that we've been covering for you guys for the last couple of weeks. It's the case against Brian Smith um, in Alaska, in Anchorage, Alaska. He was found guilty this week on all counts in his double murder trial Thursday to do a real swing in the opposite direction in terms of like some hope for the criminal justice system. He was convicted of 14 criminal counts, including the murder of 30-year-old Kathleen Henry and the murder of 52-year-old Veronica Abuchuk. His defense team called no witnesses in their case this week. Investigators revealed this week text messages he sent to a friend of his on the night he is believed to have killed Kathleen where he said he, quote, did have fun and wanted to share. A detective also testified he heard a jail phone call with Smith and his wife, where she asked Brian if he slept with the woman he killed, to which the detective said he replied, not with these two. He's scheduled to be sentenced in July. So again, you know, a little bit of hope for the criminal justice system. And I think we all kind of saw this coming. Um, But I mean, just have to say, frankly, like what a sick fuck Brian Smith is. Um, He just simply did not give a single shit about how this whole court case came out. And he was just so callous about it. Um, And so, you know, Alaska doesn't have the death penalty, to be clear. So he's facing up to a life sentence in prison. and as far as I'm concerned, he deserves every single year of it. It also like kind of makes you wonder, why did he want to go forward with a trial? He seems like the type of person, though, that wants that attention. Like, did it just for the cameras and for, you know, maybe even like fucking with the family a little bit to a certain extent? Um, so that seems to me like his reason why, in my opinion. I can I can mm-hmm. see that. And those text messages made me so mad. And especially, like, so now I have even more questions, too. Like, what, what the detective said in the phone call that he said, so his, so again, reiterating, like, his wife asked him in this phone, in this jail phone call, did you kill the woman he, that he killed, or excuse me, did he sleep with the woman who he killed? And he said, not these two. So that, to me, tells me that there's more people out there, potentially, that could be tied back to Brian. Um and I'm sure they're looking into it to see who those who they may be able to do that for. Um, I mean, I also know just from from being a you know a true crime listener and, and you know obsessor for a very long time. Like there are like these. So so um, Kathleen and Veronica were both native Alaskan women, and so they like they they get tied back to a lot of these reservations through through family um, through family ties and stuff, and a lot of crime frankly happens on those reservations that goes so far under the radar and so i wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more you know native alaskan women out there who are you know need to be discovered frankly you know what i mean and so i'm i'd be interested i'm i'm going to keep following this one and see um you know if 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 investigators seem to believe that or if investigators seem to you know like continue to to, to look into this um but there are a lot of a lot of those situations where it just um it just piles up and piles up and no one knows it happens in this country all the time um and and there are i mean go look up like the 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 native american women in this country who um who have seemed to vanish from their reservation who weren't reported missing for weeks it, it happens all the time that's not the first time that i've heard that to um I don't know a lot about the uh about reservations. I know that there are some near like upstate New York, uh which is where I used to live when I was younger. Um but yeah, that that's not the first time that I've heard that is that there is a lot of crime that doesn't go reported um just because the the culture is different. There's a lot of things that are different 
in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's like a whole organization and their name is of course, escaping me dedicated, like the, like, you know, the national center for missing and exploited children is dedicated to, you know, missing and exploited children. Um, and there's like a whole organization nonprofit that is dedicated to bringing attention to missing indigenous women, um, and men, but you predominantly women, unfortunately. Um, and so that like that, like it's, it's out there, like go read about it, frankly, again, like, and like, I wish I could do more about this, but like, unfortunately, there are just so many cases that don't get covered that don't get you know brought to the attention there aren't that don't have as much information and like i unfortunately you know this is kind of sucks that this is the threshold but i can't make a 40 minute episode out of it so just go like read about it like if that's the that's your action for the day go read about it i think the group that you're talking about is mmip it's the missing murdered indigenous um persons that's it um and actually this week, the FBI has launched a new initiative um, to gather more data regarding these cases, mm-hmm. and um, they launched a new tip line, and I think it's just in Wyoming right now, but I think that that's at least a positive step that the agency right. who does a lot of the investigating on on reservations like that acknowledges that this is a crisis and that yeah. more needs to be done for these victims. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, too, you know, the the kind of one of the complications and like we know this as reporters um, and journalists is like a lot of one of the complications about reporting on reservations is they have like their own government style, basically, you know, and so they have their own investigators, they have their own, you know, all this stuff. And so it's like, it's very separate and very different from what we're used to when like, we're reporting on Chattanooga crime, when like, you just go to the police department, like they have their own operation. And so a lot, like a lot of times it does follow the FBI, depending on the circumstances, but a lot of times it falls within these, you know, reservations, investigate investigative agencies within the reservation that and it just doesn't you know, break, you know, break the walls of, of the reservation. Um, and frankly, a lot of times, and this is maybe the conspiracy theory part, um, coming out of me a good bit. Um, but a lot of times the people who are in charge of investigating those agencies are in charge of those have deep ties to the community and oftentimes have deep ties to people who are considered suspects and persons of interest and, you know, in, you know, criminal and, you know, arrestees and all that stuff. Um, and so there, there's a lot to consider there for sure. And it's a weird system that, you know, they want, uh, obviously, and they're entitled to, of course, you know, I'm not trying to argue against that. But um, point being is it's, it's, it's set up in a very, in a way that is pretty conducive to, to being complicated to talk about. All right. Um, Michelle, what you got this week? So a jury found Adam Montgomery guilty of fatally beating his five-year-old daughter Harmony this week. It took the jurors in New Hampshire two days to find him guilty on all counts, including second-degree murder. Now, during the trial, Adam's attorneys argued that while their client did purposefully and unlawfully remove, conceal, or destroy her her corpse and falsified physical evidence, but they say that he did not kill Harmony. Now, Harmony was reported missing by her biological mother in 2021, but she hadn't actually been seen since 2019. Kayla Montgomery, Harmony's stepmother, testified for several hours during the trial, revealing gut-wrenching details of Harmony's last days, how she died, and the lengths that the pair went to to conceal her remains. Investigators say over the course of several months, Adam and Kayla moved Harmony's body from the car they were living in to banks of snow, to a cooler, to a cooling vent, and then a walk-in freezer as they continued to conceal her death. Adam also tried to help decomposition with lime. Her remains have never been found to this day. Now, Kayla is currently serving an 18-month sentence for pleading guilty to a perjury charge, which is which was related to this case. Adam's attorneys, get this, they didn't even put on a case during the trial, but they have maintained that Adam did not kill his daughter and that Kayla was lying on the stand. Sentencing for Adam is set for May 9th. He faces the possibility of life in prison on the second degree murder charge. That's according to CNN. But it's also important to note here that Adam is currently serving between 30 and 60 years in prison on a weapons charge, with this, which is separate from this case. Um, The governor of New Hampshire posted on X calling Adam a, quote, monster. 
and that he deserves to spend the rest of his life in prison. Man, I mean, I think we all saw this coming. Um, at least I did anyways. Um, it, but seeing that all laid out, what Michelle just all laid out, I feel sick to my stomach. Um, I I mean, when you were just, I won't repeat it, but like when you were just describing all of the places they moved her, I just, uh, and like the, they still haven't found her. I just, and also too, like, man, like, I just have so many thoughts about this, obviously. But the fact, like, how how did it take two years for anyone to just not see her, for her to get reported missing? I just, I, I don't think I'll ever get clarity or, or feel good about this. And there's been a lot of questions and stories now coming out, you know, looking into how did she how did harmony slip between the cracks i mean unfortunately like dcs and and things like that schools they they're dealing with so much that it is unfortunate that that's a reality of of what the world is today you know that it is easy for you know a little one just to slip between the cracks there and i think that's what happened i think also like Adam didn't even, he waived his right to be present for the trial. So he wasn't even in the courtroom and he never tried to help investigators find her when they were searching for her, you know? And so it's like, you did nothing to try and help find this innocent little girl. It, it, I wonder if him not being present in the courtroom played a role in the decision of the jury. I, I feel like oh, if, if I was a juror, um, I'm sure it was probably in the jury instructions because it, he does have a right not to be present. I, I understand that. Um, but I would just be very intrigued if one of those jurors do end up coming forward and speaking about just the thoughts and how their deliberations went yeah. because they oh, deliberated yeah. for two days for such a, a crazy case was so much, yeah. especially the testimony from Kayla, um, which we talked about last week, you know, what, what would the case look like if Kayla didn't reveal right. all the stuff on the stand? Um, it, it, I really would love to get a peek into what those deliberations were like and what the jurors were thinking. Yeah. Well, and you know, we talked about this before in Crime Over Wine, but like the, like, just because like juries are instructed, like, don't take this into consideration when we're, when, when you're deliberating doesn't mean that that doesn't play a part in it. Right. Like we talked about, it, I think we talked about it. I don't remember what context we talked about it in a couple weeks ago, but like how, like, you know, the judge will excuse a jury, a juror, if a lawyer is starting to present evidence evidence that like wasn't presented or wasn't permitted you know in, in court um and so like for, like a lot a good you know skeezy lawyer but like a good lawyer will like you know will present that evidence like knowing that it's going to get thrown out and knowing that the jury is going to you know be instructed not to listen to it but like you know they still heard it and like regardless of whether or not they're going to take the take the instructions and not consider it like it's still implicit in their minds same thing here, right? Like, if he's not there, like, to me, as a jury, as a juror, that says to me, like, you can't, like, like that is so incriminating to me. It, like, honestly, because it's like, you, like, you can't even, like, stomach the idea of, like, coming and defending yourself and like doing it and like in you know being active and 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 you and like if you felt if you knew that you were really wrong wrongly you know accused here you would show up and scream at the top of your lungs that you would never kill your daughter and like, like any anyone on that jury especially i'm sure there's a parent or two on that jury no one none of them are going to believe that 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 a father wouldn't do that mm -hmm. man i will never get over cases against children it just doesn't make sense to me how someone can hurt a child. I'll I'll never I'll never understand it. I'll never stop having strong strong feelings about about this. So since he wasn't present for the trial, is there any indication that Adam is going to be there for his sentencing? Because sometimes they can make a plea or case before the judge for lesser sentencing or whatever. So it's more about the victims and or their families to address the judge to explain like how this has affected their life 
and for the judge to take that into consideration when making their judgment. Mm. Um, so it, it's kind of different sometimes where it might be, you know, a jury will recommend a sentence and then the judge hands it down or, or mm. just the judge hands it down. But that's kind of, that's where the statement does. And and then also he will have an opportunity to give his own statement to address like the, the own victims if he wants to. Um, and also the judge takes it into consideration if there's remorse and, and things like that. So I think more of it is to go to the judge who actually like makes the actual ruling for the sentence, because a lot of sentences are ranges. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. if, if you're going to ask the judge for the, the, the most, you know, throw the book at them, like give them the maximum sentence. And this is why, I, this is why I'm asking you this. And then, you know, from the other side, you know, judge, please show mercy on me. You know, I take responsibility for what I did. I have remorse for, you know, for the victim and their families and X, Y, Z. And this is what I would like to do to help make, to help correct my wrong. You know, it's, it's a lot to, you yeah. uh, just have a lot to consider. Yeah. Yeah, they sure do. And coming up after the break, we are going to share three missing persons cases, including the story of a three-year-old girl who has been missing from Texas since 2021. The new information investigators shared this week. But first, the remains of Joseph Augustus Zarelli were found 67 years ago in a wooded area in Philadelphia as of this past Friday, February 23rd. For years, he was only called the boy in the box, but today he has his name back. If you know anything about his death, call the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-TIPS or 215-686-8477 and listen to his full story on episode 25 of Crime Over Wine. And this past Saturday, February 24th, marked three years since city maintenance workers in Jacksonville, North Carolina, found Jenna Franks, a transgender woman who had been stabbed multiple times. If you know anything about her murder, call the Jacksonville Police Department at 910-938-6414 or call the FBI at 704-672-6100 and listen to her story on episode 26 of Crime Over Wine. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, Study.com. Crime Over Wine is proud to support Emancipate. Unlike episodes of Crime Over Wine, veterinary care shouldn't be a mystery, which is why Emancipet is making vet care affordable and accessible to everyone. Emancipet is a nonprofit organization that operates an ever-expanding network of low-cost veterinary clinics in neighborhoods across the country, offering discounted and free vaccines, flea and tick treatments, spay and neuter surgeries, and much more. Learn more and support Emancipet's mission at emancipet.org. All right, so this week I am telling you the story of Lena Keel, a three-year-old girl who is also an Afghan refugee and went missing near San Antonio, Texas in December of 2021. This week, investigators shared a two-day search of a greenway near her home turned up absolutely nothing. Investigators say the search was sparked after they received a new tip last week. They could not share the nature of the tip to protect the safety of the tipster. Lena was last seen on the playground at her apartment complex. This week, family members told KSAT.com that they want a new investigator and more transparency into the case. If you know anything about Lena's disappearance, call the San Antonio Police Department at 210-207-2313. Kudos to the person who is speaking up, you know, and I'm glad that 
police are not sharing like more information to protect the person because that's right. the We're number possible. one reason why so many people don't share because they're afraid of what might happen to them. But the fact that someone was brave enough to share something so that that can help bring this little girl home and figure out what happened to her, like kudos to that person. Yeah. And I also have to say too, that the, um, you know, the, the, like the last time I had a search for this was like pretty soon after that Lena went missing. And so it's been two years of pretty much nothing. And so, you know, the kudos, frankly, to the person who, who, who came forward as well, um, for, you know, for coming forward. Cause a lot of people, again, you know, stay silent, you know, after it's been out of the headlines and there's not a whole lot of pressure on it. They just kind of fade into the back, into the into the background, and and this person was not interested in doing that anymore, anyways. But then, looking at the family side, where they're asking for more transparency, I'm kind of curious about what what they feel investigators are withholding because um, they're yeah. even requesting a new one. Do we know right. why? No, no, not not specifically. I mean, I have to imagine like a, a lot of times in these investigations, specifically with children, right? Like they won't share a lot of information, even with the family, um, because they just don't know who among like a lot of like, frankly, a three year old little girl, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of people who who that three year old little girl knew. And so like the odds of it being a family member is pretty freaking high. I, I don't know the statistics offhand, but it's something like 90 plus percent of of you know of abductions from three-year-old little girl for for you know children are by a family member or someone who that you know child knew and so point being is that like a lot i hear this all the time where like the family is upset that the, that the police aren't telling them more and the reality of the situation is you know maybe it can be frustrating as a family me- as a family member when you know you didn't do anything wrong and you know that you're totally innocent in all of this but you have to imagine from an investigative standpoint that like you just don't know for sure specifically when you when there's so much unknown about this case you have to protect all the information that you're able to and it sucks that it also has to be from family members but that's just unfortunately how the game works game probably not the best word that's unfortunately how this works. Um, and so I, I, again, I don't blame the family for wanting, you know, for, for wanting transparency, for wanting more information for pushing and for, you know, for trying to hold somebody accountable. But, um, but I also have to imagine how difficult it is to kind of differentiate between an innocent and a guilty person or a potentially guilty person when you're an investigator, when you're talking about a three-year-old child. I wonder also if the family might feel like her refugee status might like play Mm. a part in whether or not this is getting the attention that it deserves. You know what I mean? And maybe that's also why the family is like, we're we're calling on more, you know? Yeah. And I also have to say too, like I, because almost every um, report that I saw about Lena mentioned the fact that she was an Afghan refugee child. And so I wonder if, if investigators believe that that may have had something to do with her disappearance. Cause otherwise why note it? Like, cause investigators specifically with children and specifically with this kind of case where you don't really know a whole lot of information, like investigators won't release a lot of, of, you know, this specific kind of detail, they'll only release the details really that are pertinent and can help, you know, the, you know, that the public should know because that's, this is what they need to know that they think that they think might stir up information. Um, and so I'm wondering if the fact that they keep saying that, you know, investigators meaning like whatever kind of public information they give about the case, the fact that they bring up intentionally that she is an Afghan refugee, because at the end of the day, if it doesn't make a difference in her case, why does it make a difference to mention? You know what I mean? And so why not just like leave, why not just like leave it out and say, you know, the, the reality of the situation is that this is a missing girl who went missing from this playground. Who cares what her refugee status is, you know, in the long run? I mean, not that who cares, but like who cares in the, in the context of this investigation? Cause like really we're just trying to like, the only thing that we care about is this, where she is, how we can find her and who we can hold her accountable for, for her disappearance or other things. So that's my thought is like, why, like, like, why bring that up? Like what, like, what, like, I want to know what's more there, or maybe there's nothing more there. And I'm just reading way too much into it. Well, did, is her whole family here or is she staying? Is she the only one who made it here from her family? Like, is no, she with her number. biological family? Um, I don't know about her parents. 
Um, I or I, I know at least one of her parents are, are here um, because I read about about family about you know parental figures, um, you know, be, you know, giving information and and th- that was part of the um, of the ksat.com um, report where um, they you know demanded more transparency into the case. That was part. That was that part of it. Um, and so so I don't know about the full family. I don't know how many people made it over here, but like there are definitely it's definitely more than just her. Because that's the only thing I could think of is if if she as a refugee child was separated from her parents and being cared for by like a foster, I don't know if they're still called foster families in that situation, but maybe that's why they would feel a need to emphasize that of like, yes, these people who do not look like her was who was taking care of her, but she is a refugee. Like, or Mm -hmm. if somehow that ties into, did somebody try to take her back? to her country mm-hmm. it's possible and that's that's kind of what i was trying to get at there with like it, like wh- like if is that relevant like is that that is probably what why that would be relevant um i also have to know a couple things that i didn't say before tuesday would have been her sixth birthday um this past this past tuesday um and so there's that much and i also have to clarify because i just looked it up and just to get clarity on, on heather's question and she did live here with both of her biological parents and by here i mean san antonio texas um and i'm glad that you clarified that because as what heather was touching on especially during that time when you think of 2021 i remember there were s- mm. several headlines of children being you know ripped apart from their families and just the the journeys that they were having to go through coming into right. a new country and things like that. So I can see how that could come into play, but I'm glad that we're able to clarify that, that, that yeah. doesn't yeah, like yeah. what the situation is for her. Yeah. And it, I mean, it still feels like it could be relevant, you know, or, mm-hmm. or contributing um, even, even with that in mind, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for clarifying that Heather. All right, Michelle, what you got? So it has been almost 20 years since Jennifer and Adriana Wicks have been seen or heard from out of Middle Tennessee. The 21-year-old mother and her two-year-old daughter disappeared on March 24, 2004. They were last seen at a gas station in Cross Plains, Tennessee. This is kind of near Springfield, which is just outside of Nashville. Jennifer's boyfriend at the time, Joey Benton, told police that he dropped them off at a gas station and watched them leave in a white car. The next day, Benton said Jennifer came to his house in the same white car without Adriana. Police have never been able to confirm his story. Benton remains a person of interest, and the case is considered a homicide, which is very interesting here. But there hasn't been much movement on the case in the last 20 years, until last year when a new detective was brought in to give the case a fresh set of eyes. And now Jennifer's younger sister, she's teamed up with an artist, and they're working on creating a mural to honor the young mother and daughter. She is currently trying to raise between $5,000 and $8,000 to help fund the project, and she wants to unveil it in either April or July. We have how you can donate to this project in the show notes, but I will say the TBI is involved in this case. They're offering a $25,000 reward for information in this case. So if you know anything that happened to Jennifer or Adriana Wicks, call one 800 tbi find So, okay, so this white car, what, like, does do they know who that person was in? Like, why were they getting into this white car? Yeah, and it makes me wonder if boyfriend was sharing that just to kind of maybe throw, to get the oh. attention off of him. You know what I mean? Because think about it. If you're the last person that has seen, you know, these people, the you know, this mother and daughter, I could kind of see someone coming up with a story to like get the attention off of them and be like, well, they got in a car, you know? Um, Sure. I guess I would be like curious to know though, like what his excuse, like his full excuse is for who was in that car, who was driving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. mm -hmm. And you know, the fact that they're considering this a homicide case, they're investigating it as a homicide, even though there's no body, there's no, you know, granted, yes, it's it we're coming up on 20 years since they've been seen. But it makes you wonder what more information do they have that makes them say, okay, we're investigating this as a homicide, not just a missing persons case. Yeah, it seems odd to me that you that that based on the information that you laid out that your mind goes to homicide. 
That's weird. Something weird about the boyfriend's story for me is the same white car brought her home the next day without her daughter. He didn't think to question that. Like, where where's this child that is always with you? Yeah. And, like, again, like, so so then how like you dropped them off at a gas station but then the how the car came back to your home yeah but like you don't know who this person is but they know where you live and like you didn't think to say hey thanks for dropping my wife off but where the hell is my daughter i don't i i will say i don't know if that was his daughter i think okay. he was just a boyfriend oh her I'm, daughter I'm okay percent well, sure okay okay so but like point being though is that like the fact that you dropped her off here like you clear, like the clear, like this, you know, they, he clearly, you know, knows this guy enough or, or, you know, whoever this person was driving the car enough for them to know where you lived. Again, if we believe this story, I don't like you're going like the, your point being, point being is that like, if you know them enough, then you know who this person is and you know them enough to ask them where Adriana is when they show back up with Jennifer or not Adriana. I think it's just natural that if there is a person in your life, whether that you're related to them or you're dating them or you're just really good friends, if there is a child that is involved and, you know, you have a relationship with that child, I think it's just natural to care. Right. You know what I mean? To to care about where they're at, like what's going on and just to ask, you know, Hey, where are they? I I think that especially at the age of two, you're, you're dealing with a toddler. um, So it's not like they're at school or or something like that. It's just a natural question of like, where's Adriana at? Yeah. Cause if I run into someone, if I'm like out in a store by myself and I run into a friend or even just an acquaintance, um, they, the, if I'm there by myself, the first question is always, where are your kids at? And it's like, mm. you don't even like, you don't even know me like that. Why do you care where my kids are at? But like, it's always asked. And then the other thing that you mentioned was not a lot of movement happened. Um, but they brought in a new investigator about a year ago. Did that, has that made any difference in the case? I haven't seen anything that's been reported publicly, um, but it does make you wonder, you know, have they been able to get back in touch with this boyfriend person of, person of interest? Or maybe, you know, are there other friends or, or just other acquaintances that might, you know, now that so much time has passed, maybe they feel safer and maybe sharing a little bit more information or, you know, just something like that. But no, no nothing has been shared publicly, but I will say this family they they're willing to speak every single year to help keep the story out there mm. because they don't they don't want like they don't they don't want Jennifer and Adriana to be forgotten you know and they shouldn't be they absolutely shouldn't be and that was why the younger sister um Jennifer's younger sister rather wants to help make this mural you know because I will say I I grew up in um, Middle Tennessee, and this is one of those cases that I remember hearing a lot about. And um, so there's been a lot of community support and interest. And not only does the family just want like a place to be able to honor Jennifer and Adriana, but they want the community to, too. And they also don't want the community to forget. So even if driving by a mural, like makes them jogs their memory of like this beautiful pair like why not you know what i mean yeah wait so can i clarify so i'm confused about something so so they went to the they he he dropped um joey dropped them off at this gas station one day and they took off in this white car they both took off in the white car the next day jennifer came back in the car she was driving the car i don't think she was driving the car i think she was okay okay so 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 then, but Adriana wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so, but then, so, but then Jennifer's missing. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm confused. So, so we're not sure if Joey, based on Joey's story, that Jennifer ever came back to the house. Yeah. So, so that's Joey's story. Um, okay. So the, okay. the way that I'm interpret interpreting this, and again, this is just what the way that I'm interpreting it is maybe um to joey he felt like maybe jennifer was leaving him and possibly was going with somebody else i i don't i don't know sure. um but clearly there to according to his story there's someone in a white car involved even though right investigators have not been able to confirm that 
Yeah. Well, and but and if we're not to believe Joey's story, we're to believe that that um that he wants police to look at Jennifer as someone who like you know did something to Adriana. Am I am I reading into that? Because because otherwise, why make up? Because otherwise, why not just say that Jennifer and Adriana like Jennifer never like why make up the story that Jennifer came back but not Adriana if if they're both still missing it's just weird it just doesn't make any sense like why obviously the whole thing doesn't make any sense but like why like why say like they both took off in this white car blah 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 but Jen but then again if we're to believe that this whole story is a lie then why say they both took off in this white car but only Jennifer came back but Jennifer's still missing and they weren't able to confirm that she had been anywhere since the day that she left in this from this gas station am i reading too much into this it, is that it seems like that should be that like i don't i don't understand the the story about coming back to the house at all and then when and then when where did jennifer go from there you know what i mean if she's still missing yeah, yeah i don't know i, I have I a lot know. of questions obviously and maybe there are details that they have not released to the public that um right that might explain that a little bit more that we just don't know i mean i i'm yeah i'm kind of thinking of maybe like cell phones pinging or something and and maybe that's why he was explaining that maybe that's why his oh, story yeah. you know yeah, yeah. those sense. details just haven't been shared publicly so so we don't know i i don't yeah. know sure yeah no that would make sense if if it was like some sort of like Oh, well, we were able to see that, like, her, like, you know, that, you know, there was something weird on this day that, like, we think that Jennifer may have been at the house of this day. He was like, oh, well, he came, she came back, but with, not with, not with Adriana. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that would, okay, sure. Man, I have questions. I don't like when I have questions about things. The only thing I can think of is, besides the cell phone painting and stuff, is if this is more conspiracy theorist like rooted but if he wanted to plant the idea of maybe maybe the little girl was trafficked maybe she was sold off or something like she came back without the little girl like i didn't i didn't have anything to do with the little girl then she left again on her own um but i mean that's that's a leap and there's nothing publicly reported at this point to indicate that i mean mean, on the other side of the coin too though if we're to believe this story then jennifer's involved right along with this driver of this white car and it was it was at a gas station so how is there no witness or i mean early 2000s we had surveillance cameras they may not have been the greatest but i will say just knowing from growing up in in that area um it is close to the interstate which is not far mm. away from Nashville. So, I mean, if that is something that was a reality, it would not be hard to get out of Dodge. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're just a couple of hours, a few hours away from Atlanta, right. you know? So just to kind of well, give it that perspective. Yeah, for sure. But then who who did he think that he, that he was dropping her off to? Like, who did he think was, like, why was he dropping them off at this gas station to be picked up by this white car like what i don't get it i don't get this whole story i mean unless he was just that uninvolved of a person in their lives there's no way that you just take any of your loved ones and drop them off at a gas station and watch them get in a stranger's car and drive off without any clue of what they're doing why they're doing it where they're going and who it is like this wasn't this was before uber so it's like it wasn't a ride share yeah, yeah, I don't get this story. I don't get it. It's this one's strange. So Heather, you have an interesting case today. So what's going on? So the FBI is now involved in the case of a 12-year-old Florida girl. She's been missing for eight months. Lori Page was last seen on June 3rd, 2023 at her Tallahassee home. Lori's father says he saw her before leaving for work but she wasn't there when he returned home. The Facebook group Unsolved reports that Lori has left home in the past but always returned. And as time goes by, Lori's family and law enforcement are growing increasingly concerned for her well-being. On Tuesday, the FBI announced it's offering a reward up to $15,000 for any information that leads to finding the 12-year-old. According to the FBI, Lori has ties to Tallahassee in Tampa, Florida, Thomasville, Georgia, and Nashville, Tennessee. Lori's described as a black girl with brown eyes and shoulder-length black dreads. 
She's five feet tall and about 120 pounds. Police don't know what she was last wearing, but she may be carrying a multicolored backpack. If you know anything about Lori's whereabouts, contact Tallahassee Police at 850-891-4200. So the only thing that we know, though, is that so her dad left for work and then when he got back, she wasn't there. That's the only thing that we know about that. Yeah, that's that was the last time that she was reportedly seen was by her father. And it was that morning of June 3rd, 2023. And um, left home in the past. So does that mean... Like, by left home, I'm assuming we're talking about a runaway here? Yes. Um, And I purposely left the term runaway out in the reporting. Now that, like, the FBI is involved and they're concerned about her well-being, it seemed elevated beyond runaway status. That feels right, yeah. Um, but I don't know how many FBI agents that investigate runaway teens or tweens. And then I I think um, just looking ethically at reporting and journalism for missing people – just because law enforcement classifies a teen as a runaway doesn't mean something bad isn't happening to them. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, again, like we said, the FBI doesn't get involved in cases unless they feel like they could lend a hand. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, Tallahassee isn't that far from Georgia or like different states and that usually um, you know, a, a minor crossing state lines and someone being involved to that extent will absolutely trigger an FBI investigation, um, you know, just simply because they're a minor. Um, and so, and because it crossed state lines. Um, and so I, so that, that seems to me like they're looking for someone involved. Yeah. And I did. Um, so that unsolved group that I was talking about on Facebook, they also share unsolved missing persons cases. They're, missing person post about her indicated that law enforcement early on had said um, if there are any adults involved in this and harboring her, they will be arrested and charged. So it does seem that they think someone is helping her or less friendly helping her like took her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a 12 year old girl also can't, you know, survive on her own for eight months. So it seems pretty logical to me that somebody else is involved in it, probably an adult, even if it isn't necessarily against her will. Even just human trafficking, you know, because it's so close to Atlanta. Atlanta is known very much so for human trafficking. You know, you look at the interstates that are kind of of these like Tallahassee, Tampa, Thomasville, Nashville, you know, all of these areas are very quick to get in and get out. And, and if that's what they're doing. And also you have to think about when you're talking, when you're talking about a minor and a child that might not understand, they might go in a situation willingly that might be considered runaway, but they might not understand that they are being taken advantage of. And I think that that is so important, especially with like social media these days. I know when I grew up, like the internet and social media was like in its infancy and it didn't become like a thing until I was in college. And like now these kids, like if they really want to get on social media and start talking to strangers, you can literally do that from the second that you can start to type. You know what I mean? So it's very easy for someone to groom a child and make them trust, you know, because children are so trusting and it's so easy to take advantage of that innocence and that vulnerability, especially if a child is in just like not a good situation and they're just desperate for something better. And if someone promises them that, they're going to go. And but yeah. then how do they find their way back out, you know? Sure. Yeah, and to that point too, like even if it's even if it's them going willingly and like, you know, going off with whoever and them thinking, you know, like you know, if it was a runaway situation of like I'm running away from home and like I'm going to go live with this person and like even if it's like a very, you know, healthy environment you know i hate to even say that but if if it's just like them living with them and nothing else you know um you know bad is happening potentially like they're a minor and like you like that automatically makes it not okay i feel like it should be said that if you're a child or a minor and you're listening to this and you happen to be in a situation that's not good people that truly want to help you will follow the the processes that are in place to help you 
So I think what, so yes, if, if you are someone who is having a troubled time in your life, no matter your age, um, there are resources out there to help you. And if someone is coming to you and saying that that's the interest they have, but they're asking you to keep secrets or to do things that your family wouldn't approve of that are illegal that you know are wrong just morally or ethically they that they don't have your best interest at heart listen to your intuition and your gut and i know you want out you're there because like that's a moment of desperation but you deserve better and there are people out there who do want to help you perfectly said heather but yeah, I mean, well, we talked about a lot of really important things, right? You know, a lot, a lot of things. You know, we 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 highlighted cases that didn't get it get didn't get the attention that we thought that we thought that um you know it deserved. We talked about you know about you know cases you know that came to resolution and 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 that you know that needed to kind of get over that finish line to a certain extent. And you talked about you know um the case that Heather just brought us. You know, Lori Page. You know, that was a case that you know that needs to be kind of you know, parsed out. And, you know, even though there's kind of some weird things there, we still need to kind of talk about it. And, and so we able to, 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 you know, um, you know, discuss what may or may not be happening here. So there's, it's, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad it got to that, to that place because it tells me that we're doing the good work. And if you're listening and you hear of a case maybe going on in your area that you feel like is not getting the attention that it deserves, we are your people. Email us. You've got, Liam at crimeoverwine.com, Heather at crimeoverwine.com, Michelle with two L's at crimeoverwine.com. We're all here. And you can also find us on social media. If you message us, we will make sure that the case that you bring up gets the attention that it deserves. Yes. Write us in. Right, SN. Well, thanks so much for listening again, everybody. Um, if you just can't get enough of Crime Over Wine, follow all of us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We will see you next Sunday for the next episode of Crime Over Wine Weekly, and we will see you this Wine Wednesday for your regularly scheduled episode of Crime Over Wine. Happy birthday, Heather! Happy birthday, Heather! Cheers, bitches! Proud member of the Podnuga Network.